Welcome to the Unconventional Path, entrepreneurship and innovation stories and ideas. Hello, I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Hey, Bela, great to see you. It's been a while. I'm really excited for today's guest. Give us the overview. Yeah, today we're uh, joined by James Quinn. Uh, He is a managing director at JLL, which is a Fortune 500 company. And JLL assists other organizations in developing and implementing their real estate strategies in an ever-changing world. You know, Mike, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a real estate strategy. Uh, But if you think about what's been going on in the world with COVID and sort of people's migration to working at home, it really has impacted uh, real estate. You know, particularly large companies, the amount of real estate they own, et cetera. Um, The other thing that's interesting is uh, James also wrote a book called Tech Trends 24-7. And, you know, we had a great conversation about how technology and COVID has sort of impacted the pace of technology development and implementation. So I thought it was really good. Neat. Well, you know me. You know I'm passionate about digitalization. I'm passionate passionate about management. So I'm really excited to to hear what James has to say. So let's jump right into the, your interview with James Quinn. Uh, today we have a very special guest, James P. Quinn. Uh, he is an author uh, of a new book called Tech Trends 24-7. And he is also an executive managing director at JLL, which is a Fortune 500 company. Uh, so James, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. Uh, great. So let me ask you my first question. It, James, when, when you're at a uh, social event and you get introduced to somebody and after that introduction, they, they look at you in the face and they say, oh, so nice to meet you, James. What do you do? How do you answer that question? Uh, well, that's, that's a great question. I, I think that in terms of what I do, uh, you know, uh, as you mentioned, I'm an executive managing director of JLL. Uh, my, we're based in New York but our our practice is global and we help uh, corporations with their traditional real estate portfolios as well as their technology uh, portfolios. In addition, we also help them with uh, sustainability uh, in in terms of what their strategy is and how they can reduce their, their carbon footprint. And then other things in terms of what I do, um, as you mentioned, I'm I'm an author and I I look at that as uh, you know, a very interesting kind of area as well. New to me, which uh, was always uh, interesting as well as I'm a founder of a, a charity that leverages technology to help people in need. Oh, very nice. So that's, that's a nice uh, long answer. So let's talk a little bit about JLL. So tell me in a little bit more detail uh, what you guys do there. Sure. So we're a uh, Fortune 200 global real estate uh, company that uh, helps clients with their traditional real estate portfolios as well as technology uh, portfolios. And, uh, you know, we have a very strong platform throughout the world. So if you have a office or technology project in Paris, Toronto, Chicago, Santa Clara, California, we have uh, very uh, strong leaders in each market that we work on trying to do advisory work on their, like I said, traditional real estate, technology real estate, as well as their sustainability goals. Yeah, so so give me an example of specifically what you might do for me. Let's say I'm a I'm a multinational corporation, and you know I have I have locations in London and Paris and New York City. So help me understand what you would actually do. Yep. So we, we would look at uh, looking at your portfolio of 
let's just say office space, uh, you know, locations throughout the world. We'll come up with a portfolio strategy. We'll look at, you know, uh, coming up with ways in terms of you can drive savings to the portfolio, handling space, um, uh, uh, space acquisitions, space dispositions, as well as um, on technology, you know, it's really where you put your, uh, your servers. Um, you know, and we have a whole uh, strategy when it relates to that. And, uh, and also, as I mentioned before, that we also uh, help firms with their sustainability initiatives. I'll give you an example. We did a project for a client of ours in Manhattan, uh, was close to 200,000 square feet. There's a new local law, Local Law 97, where uh, firms of office uh, tenants, as well as data center and technology tenants have to reduce their carbon footprint. And uh, we help them with a strategy to do that. Got it. <clears throat> Got it. So uh, I would imagine that with uh, COVID and, and, and uh, the ability for people to discover, gee, I can work from home and, and, and as companies recognizing that, you know, some, some uh, level of people working uh, distantly or uh, working from home uh, is feasible how has that changed sort of your job and what you do and how you advise your clients? Uh, that's a great question. I think that when you look at uh, you know, COVID-19, it's been a really a great accelerator of technology. Um, so really in kind of what kind of one of the themes of the book are really digital transformation of organizations and in terms of, you know, really you know, when you when you think about how it's really turned the world upside down, especially, you know, we take one area is the workplace. Uh, you know, now you're looking at where a lot of people would come in four or five days a week. Now we're talking about, you know, really hybrid uh, as, you know, a couple of days a week and then really having the technology in your home office. So it worked during COVID. So people gives them a little bit more flexibility, which I think is important too. firms are using it as a recruitment for the war of talent because people do like the fact that they can, they can work, uh, have flexibility in their, in their, their workplace. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so how has that changed sort of, uh, you know, if I'm a corporate C CEO and, and I'm sort of looking at this big picture now, how should I be thinking about my, my real estate and my holdings and, and my portfolio, as you put it, should I be thinking about it differently now than I did three years, three or four years ago? Absolutely. And, and I, I think that um, there was actually an article that came out last month about American Express. It was in the Wall Street Journal. And it was really kind of, a, I think, a good kind of case study on on how uh, corporations and CEOs, to your question, are really looking at this and try to tackle this kind of new era that we're in. And they, they came up with a plan whereby they could have their workforce. You really could pick three areas. You could return to work. So, for example, if you lived in downtown Chicago or Manhattan and you really like coming to work, you have that ability to do it. Then there's really kind of a hybrid bucket where if you wanted to come in a couple of days a week and work from home, that was fine with them. And then they had an option that you could pick purely remote work, whereby, uh, you know, if for whatever reason that you wanted to do that. But, you know, they also were, I think, insightful for it. For, for example, if you were working in New York City and decided to work remotely, but you wanted to move to say Cleveland, Ohio, they would, you know, adjust and look at an adjustment for that cost of living versus kind of something that's in the, the tri-state of uh, New York area. Sure. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. 
So let me, uh, let me try to get, get your insight. You know, this podcast is, is more aimed towards entrepreneurs and people who are starting smaller companies and not CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. Sure. So if I'm running a small business, you know, I have a couple dozen employees. Uh, how should I be thinking about this? Yeah, so I, I think that, um, and really kind of the journey for me during, you know, the COVID was a very reflective time whereby that you really have to understand, I don't care, you know, the size of business, it could be, you know, like I said, a Fortune 200 company, or it could be a startup, is that when you really need to analyze and become a student of technology in terms of how it's going to affect your business. And I think that the more and more you can understand, you know, what are certain apps associated with it? How is that changing? What is the available technology? How are people working? What is like a competitive assessment of your competitors? And how are they embracing technology? It has to be at the forefront of your strategy. And for me personally, um, uh, you know, this is like years ago, I realized how technology real estate was going to be much more proficient in uh, kind of the corporate spend uh, for corporations globally. And I said, well, I need to build some advisory services around that. And as a result, you know, I, I have a thriving practice in technology advisory as well as traditional uh, real estate advisory too. So I think really kind of understanding what the impact of technology is, becoming a student of areas of digital transformation is really kind of going to separate you from the pack if you really be, really uh, dive in and, and uh, you know see how impactful it is and be ahead of the curve. Yeah, yeah. And, and what, what are the uh, generational impacts of this? And, and let me try to put my question in context. You know, I think back to, you know, when I was a kid uh, and growing up and in college, et cetera, the only way you interacted was personally or maybe on the telephone. Uh, but that was it. The, the only way you could interact with people was personally. There was no other basic vehicle for interaction. Mm-hmm. And, and now there's many different vehicles for interaction and, and personal interaction, actually being in the same room with somebody is, is you know, probably a, a relatively uh, small or it, it's, 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 it's not the majority anymore, a way of interacting. We interact in so many different ways, many of them digitally. So how does that, number one, trend uh, impact things? And number two, how, do, how does a corporation deal with the old timers like myself, who in, in my mind says, well, the only, real, the only real way to interact is you know being in the same room with somebody. The only real way I can negotiate a deal is when I'm in the room versus folks who who understand all these various different modalities and ways of interacting. Um, so how, how does that how does that sort of work its way out? Yeah, so I, I think that what we're seeing, you know, really kind of, you know, coming out of the pandemic is, you know, there's not one specific solution as it relates to your organization. I think that, you know, what we've seen with the financial institutions they are, are being more, I think, um, vocal than the fact that, you know, being at the office, you know, four or five days a week is really kind of important to their fabric as an organization. And that makes sense in terms of what they're doing. Then you have technology companies whereby, you know, you're in a situation whereby they, they still are opening up their offices, but you can, they're giving you the opportunity to work from where you, wherever you want. Um, but then again, you know, there's a, they want to make sure they're addressing collaboration and interaction of their employees. 
So some technology companies, for example, and they're all kind of on the other side of the spectrum of the financial firms are saying, you know what, we'll uh, host a, you know, four times a year, you know, uh, uh, outing for our, uh, our, our workforce. And, you know, it'll, one year, one, one part of the year will be in Costa Rica. The next thing it'll be in Colorado in terms of skiing. And we'll make it really kind of an experience that we can bond that way. So, and then I think you're going to have a combination of, you know, really making sure the workplace is safe and it's something that's interactive where people really are excited to go to work. You know, you've heard the, the uh, expression FOMO, fear of missing out. I think organizations are really putting a lot of time and effort into that to make sure that they really make a very interactive workplace so that people do want to come in and collaborate uh, and spend time with their coworkers. Yeah, those are some great points, James. Thank you very much. So let, let me ask you a, a little bit of question about you. Uh, take me through sort of how you got to where you are, you know, maybe starting back in your in your childhood, if you would. Uh, sure, yeah, that's, that's a long, good, good amount of time. So for, uh, so I, I grew up in a town um, um, in Hassett, Long Island, uh, where um, athletics was a very big part of my foundation. So I played uh, youth lacrosse and youth football. And that for me was great because, you know, you have the you know, discipline of teamwork and really the camaraderie of being on a team and the discipline in terms of practicing and really, you know, game time. So, um, you know, I, I played uh, high school and uh, uh, high school football, high school lacrosse. Then I went to University of Massachusetts uh, where I uh, played lacrosse there. Uh, and I also coached lacrosse there as well. Um, and then I, uh, I've always, uh, my father was a shopping center developer. So just as a kid, I would always go to the grand openings and I thought real estate was great because you meet a lot of different people and it's very tangible. You can put your, your arms around it. Uh, so I got into real estate right out of college and it was really by, you know, trying to build a, a book of business in a very competitive area. And then along the way, I started doing some technology real estate whereby um, I realized that, um, you know, all these switching stations that we were doing all across the country were really kind of the, the backbone of the Internet. And, uh, you know, when I saw that, I was like, this is going to be impactful uh, from there. So that's really kind of where my career took off and understanding where technology was. And that's why I kind of wrote the book, because I really see how dramatic change and what, what, what you can do. So, yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. So let's talk about the book a little bit. So, so tell me sort of what's in the book, who, who's the target audience, right? Who should read this book? Yeah, I think that the book is for any technology enthusiast. I think it's for the business world as well. Uh, you know, we feel very uh, fortunate that the book got reviewed by uh, CIO Insight, um, which is a, a leading thought leader in, in the area for CIOs. And it got actually as one of the recommended books for CIOs to read globally, which we were very happy with. And I think it really kind of looks at digital transformation and how it affects things like the future of work, sustainability, smart cities, sports, fashion, corporate technology. So I wanted to kind of take a broad brush on how technology was changing so many different facets of our, our world. And uh, like, for example, we have um, a, a chapter on assistive technologies that are helping people in need. And I thought that was 
I also started my charity because of that, because it's really making a difference in terms of improving people's lives. Well, that's great. That's great. And uh, so if I read the book, let's say, I'm, uh, again, I'm going to go back to sort of our main audience, entrepreneurs, smaller businesses. Uh, and if I read the book, what are the, what are the two or three main messages you, you hope that I get from reading the book? I, I think it, the main messages are to see how innovation is really changing a lot of our, you know, the, the work landscape. Um, in terms of your personal landscape and really understanding how that is, because I think I'm encouraging everybody to become a student of technology because the better you can understand what's happening, uh, I think the better your position in all aspects of your life. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. You know, as you were saying that it, it got me thinking about, about the whole COVID experience we've all gone through here now for almost two years. And how I think in the last two years, my, my wife and I have gone out to eat like maybe two or three times, but we've done a lot of to-go orders, right? So we'd order food, we'd go pick it up predominantly. And it's amazing how some establishments, some big chains, sometimes even small mom and pops have embraced technology and have used technology to make that whole ordering and pickup process really painless, and, and in many ways, almost enjoyable and, and others have not right. And, and others it's, it's just, it's like a hodgepodge. It's like, you know, and it's just frustrating when, when you try to engage with them and you try to place an order and then you try to go pick it up. It, it's just, I just leave there going, Oh, I like their food, but man, it's such a pain in the ass to get any that I'm not going to do that anymore. So how, how, how do you think about things like that? And, and how do you think how, you know, how can a, how can a CEO or a company business owner embrace that technology? How do they find the time to do that? Right. I mean, this was a forcing function for many restaurants. It was either do this or go out of business. So, you know, if that's, that's if right. that's the alternative, <laughs> it's an easy choice to make. Uh, but oftentimes these, these are, these choices are not that clear, Right. It's, it's, you know, business is going good, right? I'm, my company's doing fine. Why should I embrace this other thing? Uh, you know, how do, how do you, what type of advice do you give, do you give business owners for something like that? I think the advice is you, you have to make a huge commitment in terms of really uh, making it a fabric of what you're going to go doing forward. I think it, it's something whereby um, either you're going to be ahead of the curve and if you're going to be behind the curve as it relates to technology, it's negatively going to affect your business. So when, when we look at that, um, you know, I, there was a really good, um, uh, the CEO of NVIDIA, which is the largest, one of the largest chip makers in the yeah. world and a very successful company. You know, he, he had his uh, annual conference and you know, he was talking about, you know, the ordering process for food, just like as you mentioned. And he said that, you know, the technology is going to get so good. Um, and if you're really on the right side of it, the people are, it's going to make it a wonderful experience. Like, to, you know, similar to your experience. And if you're not, people are really, you're going to lose customers as a result of it because kind of where it's going is that you're going to have artificial intelligent avatars that can speak 10 different languages, take your order, and it's they, and it's real with facial recognition and everything that you can do. It's even going to get better in terms of your experience. And if you're going to be behind the curve on that and you're not going to take the time to invest, you're going to, I think, you know, there's a good chance you're going to 
not do so well as compared to your competitors who are embracing technology and making it a big part of what they're doing going forward. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, engaging in this digital arena it is the customer experience, right? That's it. Other than, you know, someone bringing out a bag of food and helping me load it into the car. That's the whole customer experience. And, and entrepreneurs often spend a lot of time and energy worrying about, worrying about and training people for the person-to-person customer experience or the, you know, if it's a call center or you're talking to someone on the phone, that whole customer experience. And we need to devote the same amount of care and quality and thoughtfulness to the digital customer experience as well. Absolutely. And, you know, another good example is we have a chapter on digital twin and it really is taking kind of a, a digital model of a physical model and uh, BMW is a good example whereby now with all their factories they are having a digital model of that and they're really looking at ways they can enhance that with you know how do they reduce operating expenses what technologies can they use to really improve the construction of cars and it's something whereby you know having a digital twin work with your real factories is really going to make a difference long term because you can really experiment with chip technology and accelerated computing to really take that and then put it into your real world factories. So, you know, we're just scratching the surface on that and we're going to really see a lot more of that in the, uh, you know, in the upcoming years. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let me ask you, uh, what, what questions haven't I asked that I should have? Uh, you know, I, I think that you've been you've been really uh, asking a lot of great questions. I, I think it's you know really looking at um, you know we talked about office of work, we talked about digital technology, you know artificial intelligence. I, I think that you know, and I, the another area that I'm passionate about is how technology is helping with people in need. And maybe if I I'll give you just a little snapshot on that when I was doing research for the book. I was amazed in terms of what kind of technologies where there were in terms of for hearing aids and, you know, really looking at a type of technology to help people that are, are challenged visually. And uh, we started working with a company called Open Bionics and they uh, have made the first 3D printed bionic uh, arm and it's called the hero arm. And it's really transformed the life of, uh, you know, Adults and children who have gotten, and I'll give you an example. We, we helped uh, a great young man in, in uh, the UK named Colum. He had a, uh, he was just born without his right hand, and uh, you know he had you know typical prosthetics, and they were okay. But you know his his uh, dad was you know he moved a lot in his career, and just like with everything, you go in and there's well what happened, and uh, you know so he always would 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 you know be challenged with that. Once he got the hero arm, people were saying, instead of asking him what happened, they were like, that's the coolest thing that I've ever seen. And, uh, you know, he, his confidence level and, and really how it's changed his life has been dramatic. So uh, it's something that it's a, I'm very passionate about. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of stories of technology in terms of its promise. There's some negative, you know, tech stories on technology, which, you know, some are, are negative. But this is really something that's tangible, that's really impacting people that I think more people need to talk about. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a really nice, uh, nice way to uh, 
end the podcast, I'll say, uh, with that story. I think that was heartfelt and, and very, uh, very nice to see that technology has many applications, right, across a broad spectrum of, of things, whether it be from ordering your food or figuring out how to manage a portfolio uh, to assistive devices for, for people who have, who have needs. And, and I think that's, a, that's just a great thing that we all need to think about. And, and, and we all need to be thoughtful about it and, and apply it. Because after all, all of these things help people, hopefully help people in one way or another. And, and there's many different ways of helping people. So that's great. Uh, yeah, that was the, really kind of the, the theme of the purpose of the book. So you, you hit it right on the head. Yeah, great. So give us the title of the book again, James. Sure. It's Tech Trends 24-7 and the Impact of COVID-19. Got it. Got it. And it's available at your bookstore, Amazon? It's it's coming out in the first week in December. It's going to be on Kindle, a hard copy, as well as we have an auto, auto, uh, audio version as well. Oh, that's great. That's great. So this podcast will, will come out in December. So by the time people hear this, uh, the book will be available, and that's great. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you having me today. Yeah, sure. You've been a great guest, James. I really uh, appreciate and enjoy uh, chatting with you. Thanks again for being on the podcast. Excellent. Okay, take care. Bye. Bela, this was an interesting conversation. I mean, as you kind of promised, uh, it's a it's a changing world, and even things like real estate that are somewhat kind of typically, in my mind, somewhat fixed, right, has undergone an incredible transformation. Um, so in a kind of a topsy-turvy world right now that we're looking with, uh, looking at right now, it was really interesting to hear um, how digitalization and how innovation can, um, can help us respond. What's your take? You know, number one that I, that I got from this that, that I sort of knew but really didn't realize as clear as, as James uh, helped me realize it is this notion that oftentimes crises drive innovation and drive acceptance and adoption of that innovation at a much higher pace than that normally happens. But if you think about pre-COVID, using things like video conferencing was, yeah, it was okay, but people really didn't use it much. Uh, and now it's become a part of life. And, and, and the systems have improved, the technology has improved, the, the ways that people can interact uh, in the various different uh, video conferencing systems that are available uh, has greatly improved. You know, you can now have 100 people on a video conference. And, and uh, so there's a great example of sort of how, you know, a crisis or a, a forcing function, if you want to call it that, uh, has, has led to the uh, more rapid development and adaption, adoption of, of these new technologies. So I, I thought I thought that was one thing that that really uh, you know came out that I think was 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 cool. Interesting, Bailey. You know, one of the things that I really focus on with my students is um, as digitalization really is something that sweeps through the world, right? And um, you know, James said it himself too. It's a global world and it's a digital world. Um, one thing is to think about is this idea of inclusion is how do we make sure that as many people as possible can share in the benefits of digitalization and of technology in general. You know, we saw this, I think, in the COVID situation in the U.S. and certainly here in Europe when schools went online that lower income students, you know, even though people have a smartphone and a data plan, 
lots of people didn't have a stable, reliable internet connection at home that they could count on. They didn't have a good laptop situation because not everything is accessible on your phone, right? He gave some examples of things you could do on your phone, but sometimes you need a laptop um, and just having a space to work, right, um, are things that, <coughs> excuse me, that we take for granted. But I think that not everybody has. So I always really challenge my students to kind of think about uh, inclusion to make sure that the people, sometimes the people that need access to digitalized services and digital products are the ones that maybe don't have, um, you know, it's not all the rich people that need this. Sometimes people who are poor need the access to these services too. And we need to figure out a way to get them that access. That's what I see over here in Germany. Do you see this issue at, at all where you live? Yeah, I, I, I think I, th I think about it in a much broader sense. Whenever anything new comes out, there's there's some group of uh, of, of individuals uh, that it's that whatever that new thing is is very accessible to. They have easy access to it, either because they have the means, or they're in geographically in the right location, or whatever the factor is. And and then there's another p portion of the population. Uh, that is more challenged to be able to get that particular asset or that particular technology or whatever you're talking about. And, and, and so I, I think trying to figure out how we allocate those across these various different groups is, is really important, uh, is a really important societal question. And, and you know, it, it's, 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 a, it's something that I don't think as a society we've done a great job with in the past, we just assume that, well, it'll take care of itself. Well, it doesn't. And, and there's been really great examples, whether it be in the health field with digital health, right? I mean, a lot of doctor's offices didn't want to see you if you had a cough, <laughs> right? During the COVID thing, they, they wanted to do remote stuff. And like you said, just, my, my mom can't do remote. She's 95. There's, there's no way she can set up a la her laptop computer or a phone. She doesn't even have a laptop computer or a, you know, a cell phone to, to do something like that. It doesn't work for her, and 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 it, it, she pro even if she even if I went there and set it up for her, I know emotionally she would not find that to be fulfilling, because she has you know ninety five years of experience interacting with the doctor in a different different way, and now all of a sudden it's like watching TV show. Uh, so there's a lot of these broad questions that that I think we have not done a good job at, and. And I think that as technology developers, people who and, and leaders in the in the world need to do a better job at addressing that. And and I just think, you know, there's lots of great examples of it that were, were people and it has it has it can have devastating impacts. Right. We've talked about in this country now about access to the vaccine. And, and there's been groups here in, in, in the United States that you know, some groups have better access and other groups have less better access to the vaccine. And then if you say, and if you expand that to the world, well, there's parts of the world where they hadn't even seen the vaccine yet, <laughs> right? So, you know, not only do you need to do that at a micro level, you need to figure out how to do these things at a macro level. And I, and I think that's one of the, one of the key challenges of, of being in leadership roles today, whether it be in the public sector or the private sector. I love it. And the solution is probably working together, right, in the in the big scheme of things, you know. 
Right. Um, and that seems to be in short supply right now is people being able to compromise and work together. But um, but we can be hopeful. Right. So, yeah, I totally agree. Like and, and this is a neat way maybe to wrap it up, Bela, is that we need to be aware and open to the changes that digitalization is bringing and the social changes that COVID has brought. And these are going to be with us for a long time, I think. And there's great things about it and there's bad things about it. And what I like to encourage people to do is to think about it from multiple perspectives and put yourself in other people's shoes. Um, and again, kind of making sure that you're open to the fact that, yeah, I, you know, I need to adopt things that are digital, right? I think it's inevitable, but I also need to help and make sure that my neighbors and my family and my friends can access the things that they need digitally as well. And if we work together, I think we can accomplish that and really maximize. I mean, jo- James himself said there's lots of great things about technology, but there's lots of bad things too. And I think if we can work as a community together, um, even when that's a global digital community, work together to try to um, highlight and spread the great things about technology and work to understand and minimize um, the negative aspects of technology. That's the only path forward. It's a hard thing to, maybe it's an easy thing to say and a hard thing to do. But the first step is to do what you and I, I think we're just doing, which is to talk with people who know more about this than we do and learn as much as we can and figure out what those strengths and weaknesses are and how to attack them as a, as a community together. Yeah. Well, well said, Mike. Well said. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. So listeners, thanks again for joining us today. We hope you found this episode with James Quinn interesting and thought provoking. As always, if you have questions about what we've discussed, you're always invited to get in touch with us. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. Hey, and please do hit that follow button on your podcast. Uh, We appreciate it a lot. And uh, so until next time, signing off from upstate New York. See y'all soon. Thanks, Bela. Always great to spend some time with you. Looking forward to next time. That's it from over here in Münster, Germany. Auf Wiedersehen.